Hello and welcome to the BG Podcast. My name is AJ, CEO of Bingham Group. Our guest today is Andrew Allison, who is the chairman of the Austin Knights for Progressive Reform. Uh, for those of you who have been following our, our uh, podcast over the last several, I guess the last several months, uh, this is an issue we spoke about uh, previously with Professor Sherry Greenberg in episode 110, and it relates to uh, um, the, or a group, or their group relates to the Austin Knights for Progressive Reform and their launch in July of a set of, a sled, a set of uh, proposed form, reforms, rather, uh, prominent one being a shift in Austin to a strong mayor or government. So we have Andrew on to talk about, I think, well, I love to talk about all the different ref, uh, positions, but particularly that one, I think, because it's got the most attention this week. And, um, but I'll, you know, Andrew, I'll turn over to you and just introduce yourself. Well, AJ, thanks very much for having uh, us on on the podcast today. My name is Andrew and I'm the chair of the campaign. And what we are is a campaign to make Austin the most pro-democracy city in the country. It's a series of charter reforms that have the effect of making Austin local government more representative, more responsive, more diverse, and more accountable to the people that it serves. We got started for really two big reasons. Uh, one is that as we all know, in Austin, we are facing large and simultaneous challenges as a city. And those challenges are only going to get harder as we grow. In order to solve those challenges, we believe that we need to do so equitably and representatively and responsibly to all of Austin. And part of that means having democratic systems that actually make sure that everyone gets a say at the ballot box and everyone gets heard at City Hall. We need those systems in order to produce the right outcomes. And the second reason we got started is that we are in a new era of voter suppression in this country. We see new barriers to voting happening uh, all the time. State legislatures across the country are introducing new ones even this week. But the, we as cities are not powerless here. We know that we're not going to get help from the state necessarily anytime soon on expanding voting rights. We know that the federal government, uh, we believe, will have strong bills in the spring, but we know for sure that cities can act right now. Mm -hmm. And we believe that Austin should use everything in our power to expand access to the ballot and inspire other cities across Texas and across the country to do the same thing. So as you mentioned, AJ, we, are, we have four reforms that we are advocating for. And, uh, and very quickly, those reforms are uh, number one, moving the mayor's election to presidential years where turnout is considerably higher. In the last 15 years, turnout has been 20 points higher in presidential years on average than in midterm years, which is where the mayor's election is right now. And as turnout goes up, the diversity of turnout also goes up. There's more actual representation at the ballot box in higher turnout elections. The second reform is ranked choice voting which is a way of getting rid of our very low turnout and very expensive runoff elections that happen in December after every city council election. These elections are expensive. They cost a lot of taxpayer money. They're very inconvenient for everybody who votes and they're unnecessary because ranked choice voting is a system that's been used across the country in red states and blue states to choose a winner that's actually supported by the majority of voters and have that winner be chosen quickly and cost effectively. So the straight majority, you clear majority, you, cl you clear majority of the votes in a pool. That's right. Uh, 
that that's the great advantage. You know, in a system right now with a runoff, you could have seven people running and somebody who gets 18% and 17%, well, they make it into the runoff. We've seen and it the last few cycles. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but with ranked choice voting, you can't win unless you have 50% plus one of the overall vote. And you get there by figuring out people's, uh, people get to rank their preferences in order. So you get to have your first choice candidate, your second choice candidate. And if your favorite candidate is eliminated, your vote passes to your second choice candidate until somebody has amassed 50%. And that person is the majority's candidate. Uh, typically too, ranked choice voting leads to uh, more customer satisfaction, more voter satisfaction, and less negative campaigning. It's been very effective where it has been rolled out and it, it prevents the kind of um, low turnout and, and low support elections that we can have right now. The third reform is moving the form of government, like you said, from a strong manager system to a strong mayor system. I know we're going to talk a lot about that, so I won't go into too much detail here. But effectively, we have uh, someone who is at the head of our city government right now who is not elected by the city, city manager. Yeah. Exactly, the city manager. And they're chosen by the city council, not elected by the people. And that's unusual for a city of our size. We believe that uh, the mayor, the person who's at the, and the chief executive really, who runs the city, who's at the head of the government, who is over all of the departments of the city and chooses how we're going to operate day to day and chooses the direction of the city in many ways. We believe that person should be accountable to the people on a regular schedule. And that's what this switch is, is all about. And it has been proven to increase turnout as well. And it also has a very, um, uh, uh, um, uh, I guess, no other way to describe it, but um, shameful origin yeah. as a system. It was adopted at the height of Jim Crow 97 years ago here in Austin as a means of having white businessmen in Austin uh, control access to city hall and control policymaking in a way they didn't have uh, before. And the fourth reform is uh, something called democracy dollars, which is a form of campaign finance reform where every voter gets mailed a $25 voucher that they can contribute to the candidate of their choice. It's a program that's been live in Seattle now for several election cycles and where it has been uh, very effective. It has tripled the size of the donor base, diversified the donor base in every way. So more women, more people of color, more younger people, and more people earning under $100,000 represented in the donor base. It has allowed more candidates to run and diversify the candidate pool, and it has increased turnout. So um, we believe that it's been, uh, it's, it's past time really to bring it here to Austin and to open up Austin elections to everybody, as opposed to the system we have right now where nearly 70% of all contributions come from just three West Austin council districts. So those are the four reforms and I'm eager to talk about them um, and appreciate the invitation. Uh, and as you said, they were, they were created by a, a process that's lasted the last six months. Yeah, and we'll, we'll include links to uh, your site. There's there awesome provides progressive reform and they have a list of, of all the reforms uh, that you're proposing. On that note too, so we'll get to, you know, so right now you, uh, you submitted or your, your team submitted uh, the requisite, uh, I think, plus signatures to the city clerk's office on, on Monday, um, 24,000 approximately, the threshold is 20,000 signatures um, to, to move for a ballot initiative. So right now that's the process of being certified by our city clerk, um, presuming that goes smoothly. Um, I know folks on your teams, are probably, I'm, sure, I'm assuming that will go smoothly. 
um, that will lead to a, a ballot election in May, May 1st, correct? That's right. That's and right. so right. now and then, so y'all, you know, and I've just, I, I'm an insider, so I've, I've seen, I've been watching, you know, when y'all launched and even with everything else going on this past summer in the, and in the fall, even if now, um, I was paying attention, paying attention to it. Just can you talk about some of the outreach y'all have done? Because I know it's something, I mean, I know you, y'all have mentioned it in, in print, right? Just, yeah. I think because people will push back on, well, this is a fast process. Just talk about that part for, for those who would say that it's been, you know, it's been a, a rush process. I appreciate that. As you said, um, we've been working on this since uh, early in the summer and we're a democracy reform campaign, right? So we believe in values of transparency and access and operating in public. So when we launched, we launched with a steering committee of 15 civic leaders from across the city. And it, think of them like a charter review commission, people who would draft the reforms uh, themselves. If your listeners are interested, they can see those people who they were on our website at austinprogress.org. And those folks worked for about 90 days to draft the proposals. Uh, we then drafted and published those proposals uh, on our website and began a, a month-long community engagement campaign, uh, a process that included 17 public meetings, which actually had more participation than the 2012 charter amendments, so we're talking about 10-1, and the 2018 charter amendments combined. So more attendees at those meetings than, did, than attended meetings in those last two city-run processes. We took a lot of feedback from those meetings and the steering committee revised the proposals in light of that feedback and finalized them. And then, as you said, we uh, ran the petition drive where 24,000 Austinites signed the petition to put this on the ballot. So we have, from the beginning, uh, believed that this campaign needs to be one that is um, driven by community process uh, where the people of Austin have a say in how these reforms are written. And ultimately, we'll all get a chance to vote here in about 100 days. Yeah, I think, um, and on that note too, just obviously we're in, you know, COVID times and hopefully I think we're, we're there's some far light in the tunnel on this. But what, I can pull back, for those communities, particularly communities of color, who we've seen with COVID, or this last year in Austin, COVID, um, there was a marked, you know, just lack of access to information electronically or anything else. Just how are y'all looking to to bridge that gap? If you already had already, right? Just I'm sure you had, but just you know, realizing there are folks who don't have access to what ready ready or readily to Wi-Fi or mobile, right? Or even language barriers. Absolutely, yes. And so for our meetings back last year, um, we had uh, language assistance, of course, for those meetings. Uh, we had targeted meetings for communities across the city. Um, being online uh, did help to a large degree in terms of adding attendance, but we know that not everybody has access to broadband and is able to hop on a Zoom. And, uh, and that'll inform our campaign as well. We intend to invest in, um, in outreach, not just digitally, but, uh, but in person, in a safe way, in a COVID safe way, uh, to make sure that folks are aware there is a, um, an election and understand uh, the issues involved and to make sure that we're including all of Austin. That's really what this campaign uh, is intended to, to bring about in Austin is higher turnout and more representative involvement in city campaigns. And it's been key for us from the beginning to live those values in the campaign. We didn't believe we would have legitimacy without it.
Mm-hmm. One of the interesting aspects too of uh, the proposed uh, move to a strong mayor is creating it being eleven council seat. So again, yeah, we, you you detailed it some, but on our current system, we have eleven members of council, including the mayor. Um, so the mayor is not a true not doesn't have true executive powers or soft power. Of, you know the power. I think under this last year in COVID, the mayors had more power. The you know mayor Adler's had more power than normal because of emergency powers granted to executives himself and to uh, the, or the Travis County uh, Commissioner's Court judge. Mm-hmm. Um, but in normal pre-COVID times, you know, you're one of 11 votes. You're lucky at large, but, you know, every, but you're one of 11 votes. So this would move the mayor to full on executive, but to, you know, to break the, then it would have you know, an even council, so you'd add another, add another um, council seat. I mean, has it been, I mean, maybe this is worked out after it's voted, but is there a plan for it? for how that 11 council seat would be developed? Would it be at large or how would that go? Thanks for asking that. So you're right, we'd be moving from a 10-1 system to an 11-1 system, 11 council members and, and the mayor. And that district would be a single member district like the other 10. So we'd be adding one more district. You know, when we first started with 10-1, every district had about 85,000 people in it. And by 2030, that number will be closer to 120,000. So adding a district is frankly necessary in order to keep the district sizes down to a degree where it's more in line with the original 10-1, where it's accessible to uh, grassroots voices and grassroots budgets to run campaigns for city council. And that district will also allow us to, um, in this new redistricting cycle that we're in, we have a commission that's just getting started. I was going to ask about that. <laughs> yeah, and it's, so it's perfect timing because we'll have this vote right at the beginning of the commission's work. And in December, they need to produce a map for the next 10 years for our districts. So they will know whether to draw 10 districts or 11 when we have our vote. And the districts, it'll give them some uh, capacity to do things like protecting our opportunity districts that we have in the city right now. And also, potentially, this is our hope, that they'll be able to draw Austin's first Asian American Opportunity District as well, with the 11th district. You know, there. I think the, the only city in Texas, major city in Texas, that has a strong mayor system right now is, is Houston. Obviously, nationally, we know there are larger cities that have strong mayor systems. Have y'all? Is there one system? You know, and they're all they're strong mayors, but still a varying degree of how what that means, right? Have y'all? Or is there one or? You know, one or several systems that you have looked at, you and the team have looked at the campaign and and crafting what would be Austin's strong mayor system. We did a lot of research went into understanding how other cities worked and what works and doesn't work there, and what might work here in Austin and be be a better fit for for who we are. Houston is a great example of uh, the opposite of what we are doing with this proposal. Uh, Houston system, it is a strong mayor system. Uh, it's more than that. The Houston mayor is both the chief executive and the presiding officer of the city council. Uh, They have extraordinary power over the agenda of the city council. Basically, nothing can be voted on without their consent. So they have a a veto at the start of the process. Um, And and we got a lot of feedback from the community uh, that that is not the direction that Austin should go. And and the committee that wrote the uh, reform agreed with that. So uh, we looked at cities across the country for where were there good checks and balances. We want democratic accountability in the chief executive's office. We want someone that we can vote on who runs the city day to day. 
but we also want a strong council with empowered, independent, single-member district council members who can own the legislative process, who have oversight over the executive, who have independent and co-equal power. So in making these choices, as we looked at uh, strong mayor cities from across the country, we selected options that uh, would empower the council and have the council be a counterweight to the mayor. So for example, the council will have a council president who will be a sort of new center of power in, in city hall. The council will have the ability to independently fire the city attorney. Uh, the council will be able to appoint the city auditor without involvement of the mayor. The council will have ultimate legislative and budgetary authority to make law. Uh, the council will uh, control many of the boards and commissions of the city as well. So full legislative power and oversight power is invested in the council in our proposal. And we didn't see that in Houston, and we didn't see that in some other cities, but we knew that that's the real, uh, the real uh, desire in Austin and a continuation and strengthening of the 10-1 system, but now with democratic accountability in the chief executive. All right, Andrew. Well, um, thank you for your time. I know we're just getting started with, with what will be, as I think we just get through this next week on the 20th of the inauguration nationally, a very robust debate, I know. And you know, we'd love to have you back on the show uh, closer to uh, you know, get, through, get through certification of uh, your ballots, our signatures rather, and we, we look like we're having a May election. Love to get back on closer to it just to talk to folks about Again, uh, one more round of education on what's going on and what it is. I'm sure there'll be a lot to discuss on both sides of the issue. I appreciate it, AJ. Thanks for having me.